Let's go to the Word of God this morning, shall we? Let's look for his message in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Begin reading in verse 12. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Shall we pray together? O oh Lord our God, when we look to you, we say what an awesome wonder. When we look to ourselves, we say, woe is me. I am undone by this holy God. But to us you have said, come unto me. You sent your Son to draw us near unto you. In this book of Hebrews, we are studying that very reality that our high priest Jesus of the order of Melchizedek is our way into the holiest of holies where we can boldly then approach with him the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace for time of need. Lord, as we learn to run the faith race, we will need both your grace and your mercy, and so we pray today for it to be bestowed upon us abundantly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are learning how to run the faith race. We've seen the examples, the Old Testament saints in the past. And even the New Testament is full of those who have run before and finished their race and kept the faith. But now the question is, where are we? If we are in a race, which this text declares, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us in the very first verse, chapter 12. The question we all and each one have to ask ourselves is, are you in it for the duration? Are you in it for the duration? For the long haul, as we say, from start to finish. Even when we teach our children, if you're wise, you make them finish things that they start. You started piano lessons. Am I resonating with anyone? So you're going to have to finish piano lessons. You started to play soccer. How many weeks of the season is left? Well, then you're not finished. You finish what you start. Start school. You got to finish. Because when you get into the real world of jobs, you can't just start jobs and then leave them and walk away and keep your job. Is this not still true? Okay, is it not mostly still true? <laughs> Durability. We've been looking at the four fundamentals for reaching the finish of this race. We've looked at the first fundamental, being ready. Being ready to run the faith race. 
Then be trainable so we can learn how to run the faith race. Now be durable. Last week we started looking at two of the four requirements for developing spiritual durability so that you can stick through to the duration. From start, when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he put your feet on the path of righteousness in Christ to be a follower of him until the finish when you go to be with him when your life ends in death or he comes to catch us up and we go to meet him in the air. That'll be the finish mark of this life. And it's going to require durability. A lasting nature. Endurance is the word that we have here in Hebrews repeated a number of times. And it just keeps on going. So last week we looked about studying these four requirements. And the first was that durability requires exercise because of our weakness. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees. There needs to be a strengthening of the parts that are dislocated for a number of reasons. Our own sin, our own error, our own weakness, our own discouragement, even under the chastening hand of God. To say, thank you, Lord, I'm ready to grow. But it also takes recovery time for those things which are weakened, sprained, put out of place that needs some recovery time for us to get ready to run and stay running. Make straight paths for your feet, verse 13, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. The idea is to heal up and then run again. Not to stay lame and lay down again. You have to endure for the duration. This morning we start our new study, the third of these four requirements for developing spiritual durability, and it is this, letter C in your notes, durability requires pursuit. Pursuit. Durability requires a pursuit. You're running. You are pursuing the finish to the end. But there's something that gets in the way, and what gets in the way is also a spiritual problem. The problem is the lack of spiritual relationship. As you've noticed, even from last week, with each one of these the different requirements, I have laid out the problem and then the solution to the problem for gaining durability in your life. And so the problem in this case is the problem is a lack of spiritual relationship. Spiritual relationship. Listen to verse 14 of chapter 12 Hebrews. Pursue, pursue peace with all men and holiness, and now zero in here, without which no one will see the Lord. I don't know about you, but that verse gives me pause. That verse brings up in my mind this thing called the fear of the Lord. But it also brings up in my mind the fear of losing the Lord. The fear of not sticking it out to the duration, to the end. Are we in it for the duration? Then we have a pursuit that is necessary that will lead us in spiritual relationship the final joy of that, but also this warning tucked in the middle without which no one will see the Lord. Have you ever said in your prayer life, in your communications with God, or even on the inside of your heart sometimes, if I could just see him, if I could just see the Lord the way Peter saw him, if I could just dwell with the Lord the way Nathan, the disciple, saw him, if I could just commune with the Lord 
let me see you. And what we tend to mean is physical. Because we are physical, aren't we? So we would like a physical, tangible manifestation of Jesus in our lives. But that isn't spiritual in total. It can be, but let's just be real. Seeing Jesus. The physical isn't what God left us with to see Jesus, is it? He left us words. Words. Organized in gospels. Organized in epistles organized in the last will and testament of Jesus Christ himself called Revelation. Revelation is not the revelation of the end times. It's the revelation of Jesus the Christos, the Mashiach of Israel, the Hebrews. Pursue peace. Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Within the context of our study, we see unholiness and lack of peace with men. And I'm reminded of Hebrew, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. This is the side of Ephesians that's so similar than to Hebrews. Hebrews begins with doctrine upon doctrine upon doctrine, teaching upon teaching upon teaching about Jesus the Christ, who he is, what he is, the superiority of him, his high priestly works. Ephesians is the same way. It begins with three chapters of doctrine upon doctrine upon doctrine of who we are in him, that we, that we were called, chapter 1, to be the praise of his glory. Not by our will, but his. And knowing that, then the last three chapters, 4, 5, and 6 of Hebrews, gives the practical living side of knowing that you are a called one with an eternal inheritance. And it reminds us, but fornications, Ephesians 5, 3, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, for the hagioi, the holy ones of God. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. See, those things don't fit on you anymore. They're of the old man, of the old way, of the sinful habits. You're to put on righteousness and live in the new clothing of a saint. For this you know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 5, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Listen now, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In Hebrews chapter 12, we've just studied and learned that if God chastens you, he chastens you because you are what? A son. And if he doesn't chasten you, then you're illegitimate and not a son. Paul says in Ephesians that there are those who are not sons of God, but rather they are sons of disobedience. These are those who are in contrast to the sons of God's chastening, are outside of faith. Hebrews ends verse 7 by saying this short, succinct sentence in verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. Not to be part of them. Do you want to see the Lord and go to the duration? The book of Revelation, which as I've said already, is the revelation of Jesus the Christ. 
And in chapter 21, we go even beyond the kingdom. We go to the new heavens, to the new earth, to the new temple that is described and prophesied and coming. And those who get to go there to this city of Jerusalem, those who get to see the temple wherein God is, where Jesus will be reigning and glorifying the entire place. They're a select group who have endured for the duration. Revelation 21, 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The gate shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. So it goes from grand to simple. Anything that defiles, causing an abomination, or even a lie. The most simple error for all of us, and certainly for the unbelieving world, is a lie. But only those, hear me, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In horse racing, they have racing journals. They keep track of how well the racehorses have run, what races they were entered in, how they placed, and how much money they made. And those who have a long, durable life are valued. For their earnings, for their owners, and also for their success in running every single time without breakdown. The Book of Life is a pre-written racing journal that says you're going to make it to the end. So don't quit. Endure. The solution is pursuing peace and holiness. The problem is a spiritual one. The solution is pursuing peace and holiness. Notice again, verse 14, pursue peace with all and holiness. This word means to Chase with intensity in the highest effort. My mind's on racing because this is about running. And the other day, I saw as part of a program, it was at one of those dog racing tracks. You ever see those dogs that run, those greyhounds that run? And I watch it and I think how silly in some ways. These dogs that they bend up and they have the muzzle on their faces. And then this thing that they call a rabbit is released. And it swiftly goes ahead of the dogs. And the dogs run with the greatest intensity to catch this thing that they call a rabbit. And as I'm watching, I'm saying... That doesn't look like a rabbit. And then I heard that they say that if a dog ever catches this thing that doesn't look like a rabbit, they'll never run again. And you know why they never will run again? Because it's not a rabbit. And I'm sure when they have that happen to them, they're like, why was I running? This isn't a rabbit. 
This is a white floppy thing. I got toys like this. Where's the blood? Where's the excitement? Where's the, where's the finish line? I've been doing this for how long? Well, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. They never run again. Even a dog's that smart. So what are we running for? What are we running for? What, what, what pursuit, what are we pursuing here? It says, pursue peace and holiness, both of which, by the way, are real and tangible. They are visible as well as relational. One is a relation with all men. The other is a relationship with God. Peace with all, all men, all people. And holiness before God. They're relational. Matthew, when Jesus Christ first sits down in the book of Matthew, he sits down and he gives a sermon on a mount. And they call it just that, the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the very first things he does is he starts getting what, giving what we call the Beatitudes how to be, but, there, but there's a racing goal in every pursuit. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, and the pure in heart who are running for purity, for holiness, if you will, have this promise, this goal, not one of them fuzzy little fake rabbits. It says, For they shall what? See God. That's the goal, my friends. We are not chasing some ethereal little thing bouncing ahead that we're just so foolishly running after every day of our Christian walk that has no nothing in it. It's not a fake what we are pursuing. We are pursuing God, very God. They shall see God. Matthew 5, verse 8, the previous verse says, blessed are the pure in heart, or excuse me, verse 9 now, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, listen, sons of God. Those who proclaim the gospel of peace, those who have a peace with God themselves and make peace with God and other men are bringing peace to the earth. Do you realize we can talk about peace all day long, but if Jesus Christ doesn't come into the conversation, we are not pursuing peace with all. For unless a man's cold, hard heart is changed by Jesus Christ through the process of the new birth unto salvation, there can be no peace even between a husband and wife. Can I have an amen? Even between brothers and sisters, can I have an amen? Even with those in our community, even with those in our church, even with those on the outside, it only comes through the new birth and peace with God. Peace with God first. Then you can have relational peace with all men, even when those men will not forgive you. And that is possible because Romans 12 says this, verse 8, if it is possible, Paul says, as much as depends on you, because you know in this relational thing, it's a two-way street. There's you and there's them. So insofar as is possible, as much as depends on you, Paul says, live peaceably with all men. You can be at peace with all men, even if they aren't at peace with you. Did you know that? You can be. You can be a peacemaker. And the holiness that we can follow in it is a direct relationship to God. First John, the apostle says in chapter 3, verse 2, beloved it's one of the characteristic keynote titles that John the Apostle uses for those to whom he writes. He calls them beloved. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. What are we running for? We're running to see Jesus. We're running to be called sons of God. We are running for this, but we know that we shall be 
like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Pursue peace with all men and holiness as he who has called you is holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Notice it did not say, be as holy as God is holy. We can't do that. Only God is that holy. He just said, as he who is holy, you be holy. You be pursuing holiness. Pursue peace with all men and holiness. We're going to have to run after it. We're going to have to seek after it. We're going to have to jump over every obstacle to keep peace with men and live holy in our lives. And you know, as I was first studying this, I was thinking, you know, that's enough. That's a good goal. Peace and holiness. But that isn't what it says here. That's not where it ended. What are we running for? Without which no one will see God. I want to see God. I want to live with God. I want to know God. Not just on the pages of Scripture. I really want to see Him physically too. I want to live with Him. I want to dwell in His temple forever as David wanted to do. How long can you endure for a real goal? If a dog can run again and again for a fake rabbit, come on, Christians, let's go. The trophy is seeing Jesus. Here's a man who pursued God. His name was Jacob. Jacob the deceiver, we tend to call him, because he deceived his brother to get the birthright. But guess what? Jacob wanted something. When he's returning back from getting his two wives, after he was deceived getting the first one, Leah, he got the one he wanted, and then they left. But on the way, he's going to meet his brother Esau, who's still just a little bit upset about the whole scenario. His brother first got the inheritance from him and then stole the blessing and the birthright. It tells us that they camped and Jacob went off alone in Genesis 23, verse 24. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. Now I want you to see real pursuit of God. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Many times we pray, Lord, don't let me go. Right? This is different. This is Jacob saying, I'm not letting you go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Oh, Christian, can you learn to pray? Can you learn to wrestle with God? Do you know him well enough to know that you can pursue him such that you can be with him and know he will bless you? Jacob was thinking he would. Now this must be something special because he'd already been given the blessing of Abraham by his father Isaac. He'd already been promised the inheritance through that same Blessing. What's this? And so he said to him, what is your name? The man wrestling with Jacob said, what is your name? Okay, well, this is a tough one, but I've been wrestling all night. Okay, I got it. My name's Jacob. And he said this. Listen, here's the blessing. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Do you realize that's what Israel means? It means to struggle with God? <laughs> Isn't that perfect? I think history proves that true. 
And they struggle, and he's struggling, and God blesses him with a name. You struggle with God and prevailed. And Jacob asked him, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen the face of God. I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I lived. Can you go through the fear? Can you go through the terror? Can you go before God and hang on? And for the rest of his life, he will have an enduring proof that he is durable. For his hip was never the same, and he went around limping the rest of his life. For Jacob wrestled with God for a blessing. He trusted God could give him one. That's durability. Fourth, the fourth requirement for durability is the most important. Grace. Grace. If you had God written in there, erase the, G, the O and the D and put grace in the blank. The problem with durability is falling short of grace. Falling short of grace. Let's look at verse 15. Looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What does this mean? Well, I got a, a parallel translation, the English Standard Version of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, and it reads this way, and I think this is a, a really faithful rendering of the Greek. Listen. The English Standard Version says, See to it. See to it that no one fails to obtain. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it. Look diligently. In Hebrews 4 verse 1, we've already studied. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest, lest any seem to have come short of it. God had opened the way of rest to the promised land to Israel, and Israel wouldn't go in. They wouldn't go in because of unbelief. For 40 years they wandered in the wilderness in unbelief and were punished for their lack of faith and fear of God. And the next generation was allowed in. The unbelieving one was kept out. And there still is a rest for Israel is the point of Hebrews 4. So let us not take it lightly. Let us pursue because there remains a promise of entering his rest lest any of you don't have fear. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. A similar problem was posed by a man who wanted, he said, eternal life. A rich young ruler came to Jesus Christ when he walked on the earth in Matthew chapter 19. It is recorded. He goes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What should I do? It seems like he's pursuing eternal life. It seems like he's following Jesus. Jesus tells him, keep the commandments. Names a few of them. The young man says, well, these I have kept from my youth. To that I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Nose as long as a telephone wire. He's convinced of his own righteousness. I've kept the law. Good teacher. What else do I need? Well, Jesus 
after the young man says, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I, here it is, still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Okie dokie then. Things just got real. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know, you can read into this text, but you won't be reading out of it. If you say, well, what Jesus wants us to do, he wants all of us to sell everything we have and come follow Jesus and live like a kind of monk. You know, that's why there were monks that sold all their stuff. They misread this. Is that what Jesus wanted? A higher form of religion? Oh, you've kept all the Ten Commandments. Now go sell everything and follow me. Is that what Jesus wanted? If he did, why didn't he tell us to do that in the New Testament? In all the pastoral epistles for church. Okay, everybody, before you leave today, everything in the bucket. Man, I could pull some offerings, right? But that's not what it's about. He went to the one personal achievement this young man was not willing to perform to earn eternal life. Proving he did not want eternal life. He lied about keeping the commandments, but he couldn't lie about not selling all he had. It's easy to say, well, I've never committed murder. But yet when you think about that same person, you know the one. Yeah, that one. That, you know that one. He who shall not be named. She shall not cross my lips. You know the one you hate the guts of. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. That's how come I know he was lying. We've all broken every commandment. Thought or word or deed. The point is you can't earn it. You got to follow me. Pursue it with all your heart and he wouldn't do it. Unless you fall short of grace. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. You don't run the race by works. You run by grace. But there's things that inhibit you even coming to grace. And that is listed here. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Verse 15. Lest any root... Roots, we all understand that. I don't need to define this in the Greek. It's a root. And from the root, things grow. Am I right or wrong? The simplicity of it. So a good and faithful gardener, when he's watching his garden, he's looking diligently. He's watching for weeds. You know those things that came with the curse? And, and if you... Go after a weed, and you know the ones where you say, well, I don't really need the shovel. I'm just going to reach down here. You know, I think I've got a good hold. I'm going to get this baby out by the roots. You pull, you pull. It doesn't come. It does. But you put it a little twist. It comes loose, and the root's still in the ground. Ah! But you're lazy that day. You don't go back and get the shovel, and you left the root in the ground. Well, you know what happens when you leave the root in the ground? it'll spring up into another weed just like the one you struggled with. Lest any root of bitterness spring up. We have to be diligently looking like a gardener because if you don't get the root, you're going to have to cut it off every time it shows its head. Does that sound like your Christian life? You got to cut that thing off. And that's what belief does. And non-belief leaves her to grow. Bitterness this word here, that, that deserves some definition. It's the equivalent to bitter gall. I don't think you probably have ever tasted bitter gall, but if you had, you wouldn't forget it. 
It is equivalent to extreme wickedness, just like those weeds, a product of sin. A bitter root, which also produces bitter fruit. So it will cause trouble, just like the weed causes trouble in the garden and chokes life. There will be no peace or holiness with a bitter root. A root is the source of the plant's growth. It affects the body, the mind, and the soul. And the person who falls short of grace, it means this, separated from the saving grace of God, so says Lenski. I think he's right. Because we have the unbelief of Esau coming up. It causes trouble. This very text seems to be an allusion to Deuteronomy. Talking to the people of Israel once again, Moses is giving them instructions on entering the promised land, the land of rest. And this very thing in the translation that's known as the LXX, which some of you know is the Greek Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, we get a very similar wordage. But let me read it to you in English. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 16, it says this, From Moses to Israel, For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there were not, so that there may, excuse me, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe, listen, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of the nations, and that there be not among you a root, here it is, a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, so that it, not, it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, now here's where you gotta pay attention. So that it may ha not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, quote, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. To deceive yourself and what deception is being laid out that you can say, I've kept the commandments from my youth, which is a declaration of unbelief, a lack of need. Not needing grace, I can do it. I don't need grace to keep the commandments. I do it. You need grace to keep the commandments and you need grace to sell all you have and follow Jesus. That's what taking up your cross is, by the way, but I don't have time for that. I move on. Here's the example. Deuteronomy 19, the very, uh, Deuteronomy 19, the 19th verse, the very end. As though the drunkard, listen, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. I'm not drunk. I'm fine. And everybody goes, liar. That's the example. You're defiled. It troubles you. By this many become defiled. It means to be made dirty, unclean, or to remain in the state of unrepentant bitterness against God. You see, you run into these kinds of people all the time in your life. The person who has swallowed the bitter pill of disappointment, of disgruntlement, of discontent, even with God's dealing with them. And then they now become a toxin to everyone they are around, defiling their growth, if you will, yellowing the leaves of the plants in the garden, strangling their budding fruit, and withering their connection with the true root, the true vine. There they are. You know, there's nothing worse than someone who's been in the church of Jesus Christ, who has heard the gospel of grace, who has had fellowship with the saints, and who turns away in bitterness, whether under the chastening hand of God or whether under the judgment 
judgment of God and whether or not there's the consequences of their own sin, who in their blaming of God then poison the well for everyone about Jesus. It causes trouble for those who would endure to the end. And you will have people in your lives who will even still claim to be Christians, though they're filled with the bitterness and gall of hatred against God and don't mind telling you about how bad God treated them. Am I right? And it's simply that they have denied the grace of God to be saved. They went away sorrowful. Jesus asked too much of me, says the rich young ruler. How could he do that? I did everything right, and he asked to ask for that. What's wrong with him? I'm not following that guy. That stuff is a bunch of garbage is what that is. I'll tell you this Jesus thing. You can follow him if you want. And I tried that, and this is what it got me. And that's a nice way of saying some of the things they say. So the warning is here in Hebrews constantly about truly being saved and not being drunk and saying, I'm sober. Deuteronomy 32, 32. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are the grapes of Gaul. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras, such is their bitterness. It is God lamenting over his people, Israel, particularly in Judah. And Isaiah says in chapter 5, verse 4, what more could have been done to my vineyard, God laments. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. The bitterness of unbelief will be cleaned out of the garden of God, so it cannot cause trouble. By the way, that's why there's discipline in families and there's discipline in God's church so that we don't let weeds grow untended. Jesus said a similar thing when he said, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? <laughs> You know what you gather from thorn bushes and thistles? Thorns and thistles. And they stick in your skin and they burn in there. And those little devils are so small they can be in your hand. You think you got them all. Later you come like, oh, there it is again. That's their fruit. A thorn in the side of everyone. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. What did it say? Pursue peace with all men and holiness. That's what we produce. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits, you shall know them looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Israel thought by being Israel they could just walk into the promised land no matter what, not even believing in God, they could just go. Well, you can't get to heaven that way. You'll never see God that way. You need to believe that by grace he saves you, not you yourselves. It's important to remember we can also fall short due to fornication. So we move on. Lower case, letter B in your notes. Falling short due to fornication. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Listen, here's where we're back to Jacob and Esau. Any profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food, listen, sold his birthright. How did we go from 
fornicator to Esau and selling his birthright. How does that parallel? How does profanity, what, what is this profane? Well, fornicator in the Greek is from this root, pornos. from which we get pornography. It is not limited to the images of illicit sex. It includes that, but it is also the unnatural or unlawful use of the entirety of your sexuality, lest any fornicator or profane person like Esau sold for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now we are getting into the reality of whether this is belief or unbelief. Seeing God's the goal. That's why we're running with endurance. But if this is there, you won't see God. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Reality check, rich young ruler. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. That's grace. To get away from pornos, fornication, you got to get to salvation in Jesus Christ. What happened to Adam and Eve, those perfect naked people in the Garden of Eden, were fine until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did it infect first? their sexual relationship. They saw that they were naked. They ran into the forest and hid themselves from God and made leaves over their beauty because their sin had made their beauty into a defilement. So do not be surprised, Christian, that the attacks come through that avenue. And do not be confused that if you're in that and that's your, what you are pursuing and you know who I'm talking to, that that means that you're not in, you're out. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. It's the most dangerous of things. It's one of the most powerful and beautiful things. I love counseling young couples how to focus that which God has given them in their sexuality toward one another for the glory of God, for mutual satisfaction and pleasure, and for the producing of the image of God on earth. And in that venue, in the bonds of marital covenant, it is glory. And anything outside of that is profane because it is godlessness. You can fall short due to being profane. That's the other word here. Fornication or profane person like Esau. And then it's so funny. It doesn't talk about sexuality. And it doesn't talk about profanity. It talks about a birthright. What's up with that? To be profane means this, to be godless. It means to not believe what God has said, to not believe his promise. Esau, your father is Isaac. He was born from your mom who was barren by the promise of God. Your grandfather Abraham believed God and left Ur of the Chaldees and wandered in this land that God said he would give to him one day. You are in direct line, Esau, of that. You're the eldest son, the inheritor. And we have this story in our Bible because Esau came back from hunting 
He was a mighty man, a physical man, a hunter. He got things done, not like Mamby Pamby Jacob, who was home with Mama. And he's famished. He's used up all of his physical energy. He's used up all of his strength. And he comes into the house, and Jacob's waiting for him there. And he says to his brother Jacob, give me some of that bean soup that you're cooking, lest I die. And I don't think this was just like we get hungry in the United States. I think this is like you really used to get hungry in the old days when you were hunting and you're out of food and you kept hunting and you you failed and you failed and you failed and you have to go back home all worn out after days and no food and you get there and you're ready to fall down and then your brother's cooking bean soup and oh, ambrosia. And Jacob the deceiver says, well, Sell me your inheritance, and I'll give you some of this soup. You know, I often wonder, as a big brother myself, and kind of leaning toward the physical side, why didn't he just wring his neck and take the soup? But I digress. But he sold it. And I say that because he had probably the physical ability to take it, but he did not have the faith in God who promised that the land upon which his feet had been walking would one day be owned by his offspring because God keeps his promises. He thought of it as such a little thing that his immediate satisfaction from a cup of bean soup is enough to prize it from his hand. And that is the question to ask every person who says, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question has to be, do you really believe to the duration, to the end of your life, and to your very soul, the promises of God? Or will, when God asks something of you that you can't achieve physically, you walk away? Say, God has asked too much of me this time. I won't go any further. Then you're not running the race. You're not running it by faith. You're not even on the field. You lack, if you want to endure till the end, you endure by grace alone. Not by might. Not by power. Not by your own strength. But by God's grace. By God's mercy, saith the Lord. Esau sold his birthright. What are we selling out for? Are you tempted to sell out Christ for something? What is it? If you don't know, Satan does. If you don't know, you're lying to yourself. Your flesh does. Is it pornos? Is that the main driver? Is it some other immediate pleasure in your life? This is a check lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Listen to me, listen to me, for you know that afterward, afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He cried his eyes out. He regretted his actions. It was over. The birthright was sold. Looking carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. We can't be those who are fooling ourselves. We have to look carefully. The word looking is this. Episcopeo. Some of you might recognize that word, that title, from those who are actually in pastoral ministry. Episcopos. Your Episcopalian church is named that because it means to have hierarchical leadership, oversight, 
oversee carefully yourself, the church, the community of God, lest any fall short of the grace of God. Lest any of you are here working your way to the kingdom like the rich young ruler. Lest any of you here hold so lightly the promises of God, you'll sell it for a cup of bean soup because you're not getting it yet and you want it now and God says it's later. You have to be durable to the end and watchful. Every city had a wall that was worthy of note in the ancient world. And there were those of the city that were posted upon that wall to watch. The watchmen, the guardians. They would walk the walls. They would ascend to the lookout towers and over the parapet. They would observe the country around. They would look to see if on the seaborne side of the city, if there be a sail on the horizon, and they would call it out. So that all will know there is a sail. It may be a friend, but it may be an enemy. We're watching. They would go to the landward side and see if there's a cloud of dust, an abnormal movement that is out there, that it might be an attack by land, and there needs to be an alert, there needs to be a call, a warning. Watch out below. Close the gates. You might even be listening for what's happening inside the city itself, that there might be some stirring of unrest, some danger afoot, some uprising of criminals, some enemy that has breached the walls unbeknownst. Looking on every side, he looks. And if he doesn't oversee Episcopeo carefully, what happened to Troy can happen to the city. We were looking so carefully, but they gave us this nice horse and left. And so we thought we'd bring it in and offer it to our false gods. And we died for it. Ezekiel tells of a similar situation, which is why Israel went off into punishment because of unbelief. Ezekiel proclaims in 22, verse 26, her priests have violated my law. The priests were supposed to lead people to the law. The prophets were to warn people back to the law. The princes were supposed to ensure that people kept the law. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy, nor have they known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Does it sound like a country you know? Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. I sought for a man among them who would make a protective wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. One who would call out a warning. But I found no one. But I found no one. I found no one who was enduring and durable. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds upon their own heads, says the Lord.
Why is the church the way it is? No one was on the wall. No one said, that's unclean. That's pornos. That is idolatry. Stop. Obey God and follow him by grace. Let's pray. Help, Lord, by thy grace, that each one here would value your promise of eternal life through belief in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom he will bring, such that no one could prize it from their hands, that they will run to this goal with the endurance and a durability that is a marvel for those around them, whether oppression, suppression, they will surmount it that their feet will spring forth with wings and they will fly like eagles by grace until thy kingdom comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.